Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the GMR, the Game Master Reference. I am your host, Joseph Shower, and welcome to Episode 1. Since this is the first podcast, I would just like to go over why I started this podcast. Uh, I have been uh, GMing, and I've also been uh, a player for role-playing games for the better part of 11 years now. I started when I was 10 years old up at Forestburg Boy Scout Reservation in New York, and I'm now 31 years old and living down by Atlantic City. Um, and throughout my whole life, uh, role-playing games, whether it be Dungeons and Dragons, uh, Modern, uh, Star Wars, uh, Warhammer, they all have really, I've always had a great time playing them. So, and I truly enjoy playing them as well. If I could get paid the big bucks to play the game every day, I would. Um, And I wanted to take this hobby one step further And I am by no means an expert. I am by no means the foremost authority on role-playing games. Uh, But I truly enjoy what I do. And I've gathered a lot of experience throughout the years. And I wanted to create a podcast to kind of share my experience with everybody. And see if I can spread this game culture. And even make the game more enjoyable so that more people want to join. And of course, I also want to help any... GMs who are just starting out or have been going for a really long time and they just need something different. Um, You don't have to agree with everything I said. You can disagree with me 100%. But as long as I get you thinking, as long as I get you thinking and and planning differently, then that'll make your table game better and that'll make your campaigns much more enjoyable. So without any further delay... I'm going to dig into, for our first episode, the, I'd say, the most five important things when it comes to being a new dungeon master or game master. I'm going to use game master for the, uh, for the remainder of the podcast. Um, these are things that I feel that when you first start out um, as a GM, you really need to you really need to know these. Um, everything else is built upon these, um, just like anything else. If you don't have a good foundation, then the rest of the building will crumble. So, number one, know the rules. You need to know the rules of whatever rule set you're playing. If you are playing um, D&D, you need to know D&D's rule set. If you're playing fifth edi- you know, D&D 5th edition, you have to know those and how it differs from 3.5. If for some reason you have some old 3.5 players, maybe from Pathfinder, 4th um, edition people coming in, you need to know how you can breach that gap between the two, how you can close that gap. Um, some things in 3.5 are not present in 5e. And there are things that are present in five, in the 5th edition, 5e, that aren't present in 3.5. And you need to know the rules. You need to know the rules better than your players do, which sounds kind of silly. Um, but you need to know the rules forward and backwards. And don't be afraid to write the rules down. Don't be afraid to write them down to reference them back later. 
D&D or any core rulebook set has a myriad of rules. And some of them are very small and very minute. So while it seems inadequate and it seems almost scary to know all the rules, if you have a good set of the rules, you can get a lot done. And if you even know how to reference them and where to find them, that's even better. So my advice for a new GM, grab the rule book and go on the rule and read the rule book. Read it, read the entire section. So you need to know the rules of combat. Who goes first, who goes second, who goes third, who attacks, who defends. You need to know all the small rules too. Like for example, in 5th edition, you can, if you're not quite sure what to do in combat, if you don't want to ready an attack, you can dodge. You can take the dodge action, which means if anybody tries to attack you, you they automatically roll a disadvantage. And this is a little known rule and not a lot of people know this because it's kind of buried in the in the core rule book. But if one of your players was smart and read into that, well, now you have to know how to implement that rule into the wider context of your game. You also need to know ability checks, which one goes against the other, how they play out in the game. There's a little bit of fudging for some of the ability checks too. I mean, um, sometimes, you know, persuasion can go either way. So if you want to figure out information from somebody, if they're not telling you something, you can use persuasion or you could use intimidate. You're still going to get the same information, but it just, number one, determines what the player wants to do to gather that information. And it also matters how they want to get the information. Um, you know, if somebody's trying to smooth talk somebody, well, that would go under persuasion. If they're screaming and yelling, that might that would fall under intimidation. If they're threatening, that that's definitely intimidation. So you want to know how those ability checks play out. More importantly, and a huge part of D&D, and any other uh, RPG rule set that I've played with is combat. You need to know combat, forward and backwards, but you also need to know what happens outside of combat. And you need to know the rules governing the outside of combat rules. Buying items, um, buying items, gathering information, taking a 10, taking a 20, all of those rules that I'm implementing right now, you need to know those forward and backwards. Because if you don't, your players are going to know them. They could probably sneak a few things by in order to get a few extra little things. And it could erode the group's confidence in you. And once the confidence erodes, then you start losing control of the table. And that's something you do not want to have happen. The second thing that you need to know is... When and how to create a rule. This is more of an advanced technique when it comes to being a GM. Um, because you don't really necessarily know how that rule is going to play out in the wider context of the game as the characters advance. Quick story, I was running a campaign once and I had a character that wanted to be uh, gun-based. So we spoke about it. We found some stats for guns, um, you know, muskets and all that. And <clears throat> we agreed that he could use them. And we spoke a lot. And one of the rules that he wanted to come up with was call shotting. Because with a gun, if you call shot, you can 
hit somebody and do double damage. So we came up with all these interesting rules. Um, one of them was call shot. So if he was to call out a limb on a person's body, call shot, legs, arms, body, or head, it would do the appropriate damage. If he shot them in the leg, they would lose speed. If he shot them in the arm, whatever arm was holding a weapon or a shield, they would drop that. Um, If he shot them in the body, it would do double damage. And if he did a call shot head, it would do triple damage or in some instances kill them altogether. Actually, now that I think back, the, the rule was they would die instantly. And obviously the rules for call shot head to get a headshot were very high. But when we created the rule, I did not take into consideration as they would level. So in the beginning, call shot head was not used a lot. So in the beginning portions of the game, it was a little gimmick that every now and then he threw out. And if he rolled well enough to to, to beat the, the difficulty check, he would beat it. Um, and But as the game progressed, he started to build his character and tweak it a little bit towards that rule. So towards the end of the game, I think he was about level 15, he was able to do call shot heads and his the chance of him making a call shot head when he rolled his dice was very good to the point where in a boss fight, it was worth him sacrificing two or three turns just to see if he could eradicate the boss. Um, at that particular juncture, he did end up getting a a call shot head and killing the main boss at the final scene, um, completely ruining my final boss fight and any sort of epilogue that the characters would get. Uh, so on the fly, I had to come up with a different story. Um, but that is an example of how a rule, creating a rule, went wrong. It, it went horribly wrong. Um, not so much in the beginning, but as it moved forward and f- came forward and forward and forward, uh, you know, as the game moved forward, it got a lot worse. The other thing, too, is when you think about creating a rule, again, you need to think about how it plays out into the wider context of the world. So when you sit down to create a rule, you need to speak with your players about it. Because when you're speaking with your players about it, you know, you might see, you're seeing everything laid out in front of you as your campaign, okay? But your players who are actually playing it and are are heavily invested in their character, maybe they could see some flaws in it. Maybe they can point that out to you that, that you can't see. I mean, you know, two eyes are better than one in some in some circumstances. Um, and when you create a rule, the rule has to stay for your playable characters and for your non-playable characters. So if you want to do a call shot head rule, well, guess what? Now the enemy can also do it as well. And don't be afraid to use that. You know, don't don't be afraid to wield that that hammer if if that's a rule you create. An example of a rule that went fairly well was in D20 Modern, you have something called a wealth bonus, which is how you purchase things. You know, your wealth bonus, you roll a D20, you add that to see if you have the 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 appropriate um the the appropriate finances to purchase whatever it is. And your wealth bonus would go up at the end of an adventure. 
um, you know, based upon your your stats and your class and your background and, and all of that. Um, but what I decided to do after speaking with my players was people would give out wealth bonuses. So when you talk with somebody and, you know, they want you to do a job, okay, well, I'll give you... I'll give you a wealth bonus of two, whatever that is, whatever that would equivalent to in your game. So I'll give you, you know, one wealth bonus now and one wealth bonus when it's done. So the wealth bonuses started to become like current. They they are currency to them, and I doled them out a little bit more freely than what I should have, but it made sense for the game. Um, another. I don't want to say, but another way where I created a rule, but also changed a rule, is we were playing a D20 Modern Apocalypse. And one of the, in the equipment sheet, um, first aid equipment and water was, it wasn't, um, they had trade value in the game. So each item had a specific trade value and you could, you know, um, Clothes had one trade value, and every item had a trade value. So if you had items with you, you would trade them based upon their trade value for something else. And this was the apocalypse. And, you know, water and medical supplies were reasonably priced. You know, it was six trade units for a first aid kit, and I think eight trade units for water. And I looked at this, and I thought, well, wait a minute. If this is the apocalypse, this this doesn't make sense. Um, first aid kits and fresh water would be very hard to come by and they'd be prime, you know, prime items. Same thing for gas. Um, so after speaking with my players a little bit, hey, what do you guys think about this? Um, I upped the trade value on all of those things. Uh, did it make the game a little more difficult? It most certainly did because now I upped it substantially. So now you needed 20 trade units to get, you know, anything uh, remotely anything remotely uh anything remotely important you know it was 20 20 trade value for uh first aid kits or water or gas i I kept all those things together just so it was easier to keep track of so when you to finish up when you want to create a rule you want to talk about it with your players you want to see if that rule benefits that rule has to benefit almost everybody or if it benef- or if it's created to benefit one particular character or one particular set um it's you have to uh it it has to be universal so every character fo- going forward can use it um same thing with npcs you want to keep it balanced uh the next thing too is number 3 no one to break a rule I mean, you know, the rules, if you read the book for D&D, and I know in D&D and even in uh, modern, the rules are guidelines. They're, they're hard and fast, and they're there, to, they're there to help you play a game. And if a rule is making the game not enjoyable, well, then you're going to have to break the rule. Um, and you don't have to break it completely. You can bend it. You can you know, tweak it a bit so the game can continuously be enjoyable. One of the things that I come down to is, one of the things I always bring up is 
my character my players will never know how many times I have fudged a dice roll behind my board. Either a boss has killed them off way too quickly, or the bosses that I've put against them is way too strong and they're dying and they need some assistance. Um, and in those situations, I tend to fudge the dice rolls a little bit to keep the game going and to make sure that everybody's having a good time. Because um, at the end of the day, when it comes to me bending or even breaking a rule, I want everybody to have fun. So when you want to break a rule, you have to ask yourself a question. Why am I breaking this rule? And what benefit will my will the players get from this rule being broken? And by breaking this rule, will I will I fundamentally break a portion of the game? So with the so with that being said, you know, you just have to ask questions. When you create a rule and when you break a rule, you have to ask yourself the important question, why am I doing this and what benefit will it get? And don't be afraid to say no if there's no benefit to anybody or if it makes one character stronger than the other. Or on the flip side, if it makes one character weaker than the other. The next one, which you will have to know and something that will develop over time is table etiquette and table culture. Now, when you sit down at the table with your friends and you're playing this game, uh, I always find it very helpful to kind of set the rules up front, um, what you expect from them and what you want in this game. That way you can set some clear expectations um, everybody's here to have fun. Everybody's here to enjoy themselves. But you have a story you want to tell. You have a goal you want to accomplish. And it can be done very simply. And everybody can have a good time. But you need to set the rules and set the pace. Um, you don't want too many sidebar conversations. You don't want people ganging up against the GM. Uh, you don't want people, even at some point, you don't want people questioning the GM as a way to undermine him or her. You want them to question you because they sincerely have a question about a rule or about something you're doing. Um, and I find it best to always say, be as honest as you can about what you're doing, either if it's something with a rule or there's there's clarification. If something's going on and they think it's unfair and they feel like you're singling them out and they kind of ask a question as to why, one thing I always do which seems to help is I just go, well, let's see how this plays out in the story. Um, that kind of gets them interested that, okay, you're, you're singling them out for a purpose. And... Also, don't don't single out your players as well. That that would just be a very bad thing. And then you also want to try to develop the table culture as well. And by table culture, I mean you don't want somebody there who is just very aggressive and is very mean to everybody and very toxic. You, you don't want that. You want a group of players who can play, who help each other out, even if at some points you know, the table decides to split and some become bad and some become good, you, that's a different, a difficult thing to handle. But, you know, even that can be done with friendship and tact. Um, I've, I've had that happen 
and it's it's, it's a lot of fun when it's handled correctly, but it's also very difficult and it can go sideways very quickly. And what goes hand in hand with culture is also how your players are. Um, you need to know your table. And that's that's really another important aspect of table etiquette and culture. You need to know your table. Um, I've played with some people who all they like is combat. They like combat, combat, combat. So digging into a very intricate and beautifully woven political story or or lore, they're not they're not interested. You know, they want to get down and dirty. They want to fight. They want to fight. They want to fight. So if that's what the table wants, you as the GM may have had something specifically planned out for this. Well, now you have to have some other plans and you have to throw in a couple more enemies or do something to keep their attention. I've also had tables that are very into the lore. Um, And when you're trying to lead them into combat, they start leading away to try to learn more about the lore or they try to avoid combat to try to gain as much knowledge as they can um the other thing too is after a while been playing with the same people for a while they'll start to know they'll they'll start to figure you out they'll start to know what you do and how how you do it so you kind of need to be wary of that and change things up change things around that way nobody can really get a handle on what what you're doing. Um, you can always play music. You can use different voices if, if you're talented enough to do that. I've played some music at some of my tables and it was not a big hit. Um, they repeatedly asked me to turn it off. <laughs> um, I have used some voices to some effect just because it breaks up different things. I mean, you're, you're a storyteller. Um, you need to sit down. You need to tell a story. And your players are moving through this story. And you need to tell the story the best way you can. So you can use props, costumes, whatever it is. Um, but above all else, you have to develop a culture at the table where you're the person that's guiding and leading them down this path. And they're just a group of friends who are trying to overcome every single obstacle that they put in your way. Um, Every table I've been at has been completely different. And to have to say that you should handle everything as in one in one that everything is the same is is incorrect. Um, Every table I've been to has been completely different. And that's what makes them all unique and fun and a little frustrating at times. (laughs) The fifth thing, the final thing which of course everybody kind of runs into. I've been doing this for 11 years, so I definitely run into it. I've run into it a lot, is you need to avoid burnout. You need to avoid DM burnout. And I know everybody says, oh, you can't burn out. This is fun. You can burn out. You can spend hours and hours and hours coming up with stories and intricate uh you know, side quests and and you can come up with a million and one different things um, in order to make this story work and you will burn out. You will run out of ideas. You will run out of steam. My advice, um, you know, my advice is if you want to make a campaign, 
you should really spend no more than two hours making that campaign, maybe a little bit, two hours a day on that campaign. If, if you really want to make a detailed campaign, um, most campaigns people can throw together within the app, within, you know, a weekend, four hours, you know, two hours a day. Um, but you best know, you, you best know when you're about to burn out. The other thing too, is create campaigns that have a beginning and an end. Um, some of the worst campaigns I've had have just dragged on and on and on and on and on. And you're on like adventure 12 and, you know, you're supposed to go to adventure 15. And then at that point, when the players get bored of the story, they'll want you to finish and they'll tell you, listen, we need to be finished. You know, this is getting a little boring, a little monotonous. Well, now you're going to rush towards an ending and rushing towards an ending isn't any good at all. It ruins the buildup. It ruins a lot. So I would say by my personal um, my personal experience, I would say you should be able to get an adventure out and finished and done between three to five sessions. That would be the optimal time that, that would be the optimal time to get a session out because you'll have a beginning, a middle, and an end. Um, and then you can move forward to other things. Um, you can always add your own flair to that. Do I have certain adventures have certain callbacks to other ones? Yes, I do. I most certainly do. Um, I do feel like that's, that is good for players. Um, if they complete one adventure and then they're still in the same world, but it's a couple years later or, you know, 30 years later or something, they, they decide to look up their old characters and, you know, see the work that they've done. Because um, it gives them a sense of accomplishment to see how the world has changed since they have completed their goal. And that is that is something that, that I do enjoy doing. Um, you also don't want to have too many sessions. I mean, if you're having one every week and you're trying to, you know, burn out, you're, you're trying to crank out, you know, five five sessions to complete your adventure, that, that might work. But you do burn out very quickly if you're having one a week. Um, I would optimally say anywhere from twice a month to once a month, because then what that does is that allows everybody to schedule their time around that adventure. Uh, it also allows everybody to, you know, digest what happened. And it also allows you to prepare um, you know, a month, but uh, two weeks to a month between adventures is great. It gives you time to prepare the next adventure and weave in a little aspects of last adventure into it as well. And don't be afraid after a bunch of adventures to say, listen, guys, I'm going to step back for a little bit. Um, I stepped away from it as a, as a GM. I stepped away from actually playing for a couple of years, um, you know, I stepped away for about three or four years. I didn't, I didn't GM any games because I just, I burnt myself out. I was, you know, uh, work and family and school. I just, I burnt myself out and I just needed a break. Um, the other thing you can do to avoid burnout is you have to be disciplined enough to read. Read fantasy books, watch fantasy TVs, uh, go to other games, um, find a myriad of adventure, you know, find as much, um, as much 
inspiration as you can. And I'll touch on this in a later episode, but never, ever, ever be afraid to use the one shots that Wizards of the Coast comes out with. Never be afraid to use those. If the people really want to play and you're too burnt out and you want to get it done in anywhere from three to five sessions, you know what? Pop out that book and right there you've got a ready-made and pre-made adventure. That way you can avoid burnout because everything's prepared there right for you and your players will have a good time and they'll also enjoy, you'll also have a good time going through an adventure that's pretty pre-made, but it'll also inspire you in a way because as they go through the adventure, some of the things they'll talk about and discuss, maybe that'll inspire you for your next campaign. Uh, Homebrewing a campaign is very difficult. It's very rewarding, but very difficult. And to avoid burnout and to, you know, avoid, uh, avoid really backing yourself up into a corner, never be afraid to use those one-shots. Well, unfortunately, that's all I had planned for today. I would like to thank you for sticking it out with me on this podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can leave any voice messages over here on the Anchor app, and I will be more than happy to get back to you. And as always, buy buy all of your role-playing game items from Wizards of the Coast, and since it is my favorite soda, have yourself a Dr. Pepper on me.